Weirdo Bookworms, unite. We want to share our love of genre fiction with you. Some readers out there may look down on you for your love of horror, sci-fi, and fantasy, but not us. So stop by as we discuss what we've been reading. <laughs> Scott was wiggling when we did a countdown. He did stop, stop, you need to stop the wiggling. Wiggle, 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 wiggle. <laughs> not a visual podcast hi everybody this is sandra and this is scott welcome to genre junkies we're um we're here what a little treat back-to-back weeks here yeah because (laughs) because of because of the floor i know it's a lot of editing and of course it was a lot of work for us on the back end but you know oh it's totally worth totally worth it we're trying to get back on schedule um so here we are 2021 and we're gonna have a new bumper and a new little mid thing coming soon just new things in 2021 people and our 100th episode is coming up real quick here can you believe that i feel like we've done more than that (laughs) i I mean when we do a when we do a uh a show every other week yeah that milestone comes a little bit later than it normally would in a show right 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 no it's wonderful and it is a good milestone it's just always funny it's like oh really i feel like we've done like maybe 500 of these no (laughs) um so today is one of those fun fun very uh special episodes tm trademark uh genre junkie special episode where not only are we going to talk about a book for you spoiler free uh and then spoiler later on we'll warn you but we actually got to sit down and talk to this week's author before we get into the book is there anything genre related you've been enjoying this week Yes, I do have something cool to share, actually. Something that I really want to share is I'm not very far into it. I've only seen the first two episodes, almost almost two episodes of a show that my um, co-host Neil over at The Colt Show uh, turned me on to, and that is a show called 30 Coins. So um, you can watch this on HBO Max, and uh, it is an HBO Europe show, and it is set in Spain, uh, which is so cool, and it just has that really awesome European look and feel to it. And it is about some strange goings on in a rural, smaller town in Spain. We have a priest that used to be a boxer. He's rough around the edges. He has sick tattoos and he's been kind of exiled to this little village. And um, I don't want to say too much going into it, but if you like religious horror, and I know you do because I do, I freaking love it. It it's fun. It's really fun and scary. I get kind of Jean Valjean vibes from that priest. <laughs> yeah, he's got he's got a past but a heart of gold. And he's ripped. <laughs> <laughs> well, he used to be a boxer. Exactly. Yeah. Well, my only genre related thing uh this week is actually very relevant to this book. I have been falling down a little bit of a true crime hole. This week, I, I'm kind of like, I mean, I don't know whether I should be happy or not, because I've been into true crime quite literally my whole life since I was a kid, got into it with my mom. And I mean, I ingest and have so much true crime and it's never fully rubbed off on you. And so now I'm like, do I get to take responsibility for this or or no? What's funny, though, is I'm going down the the order side of the law and order. And I've been watching like trial videos. I don't know. I don't know why this suddenly got into my head. That this is something that I want to like get into this week, but sure. I, Hey, whatever. <laughs> I think that's awesome. And you know, I, I think a lot of people don't think about that side of it and that you can find those things. Cause I think a lot of us, you know, we're used to seeing or hearing, jailhouse interviews or confessions or interrogations but not so much what actually happens in the courtroom besides you know a few words strung together so that's i mean you know i guess i'm you're taking true crime and you're kind of making it yours but i still want some credit I guess what I'm saying is, Law & Order SVU, you need to bring Barba back and just have the show be about him. Just Law & Order, Barba, I'll watch the entire thing about... Uh, or can we have... They, um, ha- they had a trial and jury show for a while. I didn't watch it. I probably would have loved it. Can we have Raul Esparza, who played Barba? I think that's him, right? Yes. Um, can we just have him host a podcast where he like goes over the trial parts of things? Please. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I just, I think people would be very happy. I think people on Tumblr would be very happy. I, I think this would be a good thing. All right, so all the barbas aside, <laughs> let's talk about today's book, which is If I Disappear by Eliza Jane Brazier. Sarah loves true crime podcasts. They give her a sense of control in a world where women just like her disappear daily. She's sure they are preparing her for something. So when Rachel, her favorite podcast host, goes missing, Sarah knows it's time to act. Rachel has always taught her to trust her instincts. Sarah follows the clues hidden in the episodes to an isolated ranch outside Rachel's small hometown to begin her search. She's convinced her investigation will make Rachel so proud. But the more Sarah digs into this unfamiliar world, the more off things start to feel. Because Rachel is not the first woman to vanish from the ranch, and she won't be the last. Rachel did try to warn her. <laughs> I think that's a great synopsis. It is a great synopsis, and this is the hardest I've ever had to like try and be silenced through your your reading of the synopsis because Why? because it's just like well, what is this po- podcasting? Yes, <laughs> and uh, it's just. It's such a fun premise that it just immediately when we when we read the synopsis of this the first time we said well we have to we have to read this we yeah. have to read this book. I mean there's not a lot of books that involve podcasters. There's not a lot of books that we are interested in that involve podcasters and there's not a lot set in northern California where we live. Though this is uh, a a bit northern of us but you know still it's, it doesn't matter it's the fact that it's northern california and we know vaguely where this is all taking place so um yeah very much like we have to get our hands on this book and we have to talk to this writer and ah i'm so glad we did for both me too um i was gonna have you start us off scott about what was your experience with this book uh, this book was nothing short of an obsession for me. It sparked a, a a joy and a fascination that is uniquely specific to this book. Uh, it, it affected me and made me think about the ways that I interact with with uh, media and and sparked kind of a different sort of appreciation in true crime that uh, again I didn't have before. Uh, um, I'll go into a little bit more detail later, but there's points where this book made me feel a little bit unhinged. I I know exactly what you mean. I can totally I can totally see that. Um, for me, this book was somewhere between page turner and obsession. Um, I'm still like even though I finished it a while ago, I'm still digesting it. I'm still thinking about it a lot, which is such a great sign. You know, Eliza definitely did her research. She, you know, we'll talk to her about it. She's into true crime stuff too. She's a big fan of um, my favorite murder, us we are. Hey, Karen. Hey, hey, Georgia. <laughs> Come by, say hi to your genre junkie friends. Um, it, it's a beautifully written book. Um, I I love the dark, dry humor of this book. It's not going to be for everybody. Um, it it makes you. It does make you feel like you're not quite well. And I, I, I don't want to say that it's, you know, a trigger warning exactly, but if you have had feelings of depression and just like kind of an end way towards life, if you've gone through things like that, and I definitely have, and Scott does, definitely has, you will be able to relate to Sarah in a way that you don't get to see represented in books a lot. In, in relation to what you were saying as far as the relatability of what happens in Sarah in particular, I want to talk about Sarah here in the spoiler-free section, because that relatability, I think, is really important to my experience with the book, and I think yours as well. For me, there are things that, you know, I understand and I've I've talked to you and other people about the female experience and I, I think that you'll want to talk about that either here or in the spoiler section. But for me, there's there's this idea of, okay, there's this person, a podcast host, who she's never met, but she's gonna go figure out what happened to her because she relates to this person that really made me think about some of the things that we do in this somewhat um almost like like public 
realm that we live in in today's society now mm-hmm. where um, you can and here. So this book is set in, in a real town in Northern California. Yes. And in the middle of me reading this book, I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to check out this town and see what kind of like restaurants they have there and you know what what the what, what the whole situation's like mm-hmm. oh let me pop down to street view and look at what's going on around in town yeah. and i realized this is actually kind of creepy right 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 because like things are just a few clicks away as they always like to warn us but it's true i mean you can you can hop on google maps and check this out you can um do some digging and find out you know where your content creators are and you know sometimes they leave clues we all leave clues and sometimes they're not even intentional and if somebody really wanted to they could you know like put it together and stuff yeah it's it's a weird way of looking at how close we all are in a weird way in the digital era i mean i even think about us i mean we love all of you. And, and if you decided, re- you know, you really wanted to find out as much about us as you possibly could, you could probably find out a lot about us that we don't, you know, make public. Uh, I hope if you want to know that much about us, just ask, just, just ask and reach <laughs> out to us. We're very friendly people and we won't think that you're that weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah. It's, you could just, you could just shoot us an email. You can just, you can just find us on Instagram. It's fine. <laughs> We're not, I mean, we're interesting. We're not that interesting, for God's sake. But that's why I actually say obsessed, because not only was this an absolute page turner and I blasted through this book, but it made me rethink different actions that I had been taking throughout this whole week that, you know, in a different light is a little bit um, weird. Right. It's become normal. But when you sit back and think about it, it's like this didn't used to be as easy as normal, I guess. Mm hmm. Um, so I do want to talk a little bit about um, kind of the the plotting and the feel of this book. I I felt like this really read more horror than thriller or like a really heightened suspense novel, but in the most interesting slow burn way. I can't quite encapsulate this book. Um, It it really spreads across a lot of genres and it it doesn't feel, it's so interesting because, you know, we try to not do two similar genres back to back on this show. This time we didn't really have a lot of choice because of, you know, those external factors that were going on in our lives. But you can take two thrillers like we did, you know, um, The Push and then we did If I Disappear and they are so different. Vastly different. Like you wouldn't be able to say like, oh, you like thrillers? Oh, here, read this book. Oh, you like thrillers? You'll also like this. Like, no, no, they're so different. They have some fun commonalities on paper. But when you actually like look at them, they're not, they're a different experience. And that's really cool. Uh, it is cool. And these, those two books, there is no comparing the two of them. Of course. But yeah. it is a really, it's actually an argument for the categorizations that books sometimes find themselves in. Because if you were just to say, hey, oh, you like thrillers? Here's two thrillers. They are just completely different books. They don't, they don't. <laughs> Right. They're, they're 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 different, and I agree. This one is scarier yes. in a way. I would compare the tone of this more to, for example, Woman in the Window, mm-hmm. where where it's kind of scary. There's psychological elements to it, but it there's there's a mystery behind everything that you're kind of following, and you're and you yourself are not really sure what to believe or what's real or what's happening. Yes, um, there is. And again, I'm not comparing the two books from last time, but the some of the commonalities that really stood out to me is one that there's an unreliable narrator quality to both of these books. Um, a place where you have to get with your narrator, where you decide if you trust them or not, how much you trust them, and if they have things going on that makes it that they're not you're not getting their whole story when they talk. Um, and then also really cool female themes. Um, 
and I love that that could be a trend and like, hey, look at these two books we just read back to back that have women being shown out of the box archetypes. And that's really cool. And it makes me feel very excited that our first two books of the year have such interesting and strong and diverse female um, psychology. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a lot of <laughs> I highlighted a lot in this book uh, because there was just a we lot. We both of, did. Yeah, there was a lot of things that that just jumped out to me, and 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 the tonal changes throughout the book, and you know, just kind of the way that Sarah will be so blunt with us. Um, like, you know, there's parts where she says things like, uh, will anyone miss me? No, I was no more than background noise. Or um, that's why I stopped writing. She's talking about riding horses because one day I woke up terrified of dying. And you're just like, oh, okay, that's that's blunt. Yeah. I understand what you mean when you talk about an unreliable narrator. Um, I, I think in this case, the bluntness of this character's of Sarah's shortcomings is really more more the star of this show. Uh, I think that this is not so much a oh I don't trust this character. It's just that the character is actually very honest about you know her own um, self consciousness. Yes, there's uh, some really, like, even though there's some dark things that we go through, I really do want to emphasize that there's some really empowering things um, about the women in this story. And there's some of the things that, you know, in in the interview, um, we talk about the things that Eliza has gained from being a true crime fan. And I think that that's really important. And I think that kind of speaks to like why a lot of women especially like true crime is when you meet other um, females who are into it, it's kind of like we have each other's backs in a way. It's kind of like, we're like, I know that people only care about, you know, attractive white people that go missing. And if you go missing, I see you and I care. And this is how I got away from somebody that was going to hurt me. And maybe that could help you, you know, just kind of like be on guard, be suspicious of people. You don't need to be polite. You know, sometimes you need to be forceful. Sometimes you need to be a bitch. Sometimes you need to get answers. And, um, it's all presented in such a relatable way. I imagine that it must be difficult living your entire life with that just sort of ingrained, uh, institutionalized fear. Yes. And being able to have a common language that is externalized yet yet relatable, it must be very um, poignant. I Oh, I appreciate you saying that, Scott, on behalf of your gender. <laughs> Yeah. No, I I do appreciate that. Um, You know, it's kind of like you're hard pressed to meet a girl who doesn't know how you carry your keys in your hand in case you need to attack somebody while you're trying to get into your car. Or, you know, some of us carry uh, some of us, me, 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 carry uh, weaponry, um, carry things that could help but it's like oh okay girl you got pepper spray that's awesome but make sure it's not expired sis okay (laughs) you know like and just ways to like help each other because we're brought up in you know having to be so on the defensive yeah it is nice to have a shared language i mean it's ridiculous that we have this language right it's like sad and ridiculous but it's at least we can help each other this is a completely an off-tangent uh, topic, but speaking of pepper spray and, and shared experiences, I came across one of your expired pepper spray things the other day. Oh. And I was- <laughs> Fallen soldier. Never use. Never use. And I was looking at it, and I was like, there is, it's actually criminal that there is not like a practice version of this little device. Because like, you have to like, you, know, you have to take off the safety, and yeah. you have to know exactly where to- point it and all those sort of things you know when you when you work with firearms you, you do dry training where you know with no with with no ammunition to really like learn how something like that works there's not really anything like that for a lot of the self-defense 
objects that are oh, there's practice. frankly marketed to you. Yeah, there's practice EpiPens. There's practice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, that's, yeah. ex- that's a perfect point. Yes, I, I use an EpiPen and there is a practice version that you can just keep resetting and pushing up against your leg so you know exactly how to arm it and use it. Yeah. There's no, there's no like practice. There's no like... Okay, you you buy two pepper sprays. One you fill with water and and pump it a couple of times so you can learn how it works. And the other one's yeah. the real deal. There, yeah. There's nothing like that. That sucks. No, we gotta help you. That's why we gotta help each other. Um, absolutely. So I I want to get to our interview and to be able to talk more about the spoilers in this book. I I should say thank you especially to Eliza not only for doing this interview but for giving some love to podcasters. Really appreciate it. Uh, what is your appeal score, Scott? So I'm going to go with a broad uh, appeal score for this book. I think that this appeals to anyone who is knowledgeable, obviously, in uh, podcasts or especially true crime. Yes. I think that this is a great book, not for just those who love thrillers. And let's be honest, a lot of people love thrillers. Yes. Um, I do think that there could be a... I think that there's a danger that if you are not experienced with having this sort of relationship, you may call it, with a podcast personality, that there are certain aspects that you would not understand and may not connect with Sarah, the main character. Hmm, Interesting you say that. Um, I don't know if I agree or disagree with that. I'd have to think about that one. Um, I feel pretty comfortable giving this a pretty broad, uh, you know, recommendation myself. I do think a lot of people love thrillers and there's a reason for that. And there's so many different types of thrillers, you know, maybe you try one thriller and that doesn't work for you. I've certainly come across that. And then there's other thrillers that really do work for me. Um, I think this will appeal to people that are interested in reading, um, feminist, uh, takes and feminist novels. Um, I think this will be interesting to people who've gone through depression, um, who've gone through tragedy in their lives that has kind of made them question about where do I belong? Where do I fit? Who are my people? Um, What do I represent? Like, there's a lot of like really kind of big idea themes going on in this book like that. And um, there's actually some little parts of it that are, quite grisly and you know kind of disturbing i'm thinking especially of the chapter header she does in Mm -hmm. every book too and i obviously like my thrillers that's how i when i really like them that's how i like them is when they push that envelope so there you have it all right everybody we're gonna take you over to the interview now uh please everybody give a warm genre junkies welcome to our new friend, your new friend, the talented and delightful Eliza Jane Brazier. All right, with us today, author of If I Disappear, Eliza Jane Brazier. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Oh my gosh, we are thrilled. We are so, so excited to talk to you and to talk about this book. Oh my gosh. So of course, at this point, um, everybody will have heard our spoiler-free review. And then after this, we're going <laughs> to talk spoilers. So we'll try to keep this interview spoiler-free. We'll, we'll, we'll try. <laughs> Oh, dang it. I, I, I mean, we always sometimes we'll edit it and we'll stick a little, some little spoilers. It's not always possible, yeah. though, especially with a yeah. book like this. Right. Yeah, it's, it's tricky, man. It's like, I have to be careful, too, because it's like you want to talk about, you know, what happens at the end. So because that's like part of the theme. But then you're like, well, that's going to give it away. So I just better not say anything. <laughs> right. It is. It is. It's tricky. But that's a good thing. That's a good thing. There's a lot to discuss. So I guess our first question, just right off the bat, has to be, what was the inspiration for this story? And are you, in fact, a murderino? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, for sure. To the second one. I mean, 100 percent. Yeah, yeah. Us too. Us um, too. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, no, I mean, I love I love those two so much and definitely have gotten me through some like super hard times. Oh. Um, so for this book, I think uh, there was like multiple, um, I would say, things that came together. So like, I mean, one of those things is obviously true crime, which I am like a huge uh, fan of. And I actually kind of got into it like a different way than than like most people like after so I'm a widow and my after my husband died, like I found a lot of comfort in that community just because I feel like it's a way to sort of like address, you know, trauma and like talk about these kind of scary things, you know. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so I got really into like listening to like, I, I, at first it was like Dateline and I would listen to like Dateline for like hours. Yes. It's like, a gateway it, it drug. Sounded, like super, yeah, yeah, it's totally hundred uh-huh. percent. I found it super comforting. And then I of course discovered obviously like my favorite murder, like crime junkie, um, and just all the, these different like sort of women's voices. And so I wanted to kind of, uh, you know, write about that. So that was definitely one aspect. And then I would say like the other one is the setting, which I, I actually worked at a dude ranch in Northern California. Um, and I was there for like six weeks and it was just like the craziest experience. And it wasn't nothing like the, book, but it was just like, one of those things where you go into this. I went into it, like thinking this was going to be this sort of like fantasy of like living out in the woods and like working right. with horses. Right. Um, and like when I got there, it was a lot different than what I expected. And you just realize, I think when you're in such isolation, how much you actually rely on like the people around you to be sane. Cause if they're not, <laughs> it can get really crazy. Oh so I kind of like, yeah, like I took that setting and just like that feeling of like being in the middle of nowhere and not really knowing what was real and what wasn't and like kind of mm-hmm. use that obviously to inform the book. And then like the last like final piece was I really wanted to talk about um, just what it's like to like be a single woman, like in America today. Um, I actually, like I said, I was married. I lived in England for like 10 years, uh, like my whole 20s. And after my husband died, I moved back to America. I'm like single again. I'm like in this country again, like it felt like for the first time almost. And it, it just like that whole experience of like being on Tinder and like just, it was just like, it hits you hard, man. You're like, this sucks. So I really wanted to write about that. Yeah, this, no, that's perfect. Cause I, I think that, I think that's so cool that you found um, community and support with, you know, within that niche. That's, that's so cool. It, you can't predict that, that sometimes the internet is such a good place. It's, and you know what, the thing is that community is so friendly. Like I went to live events, obviously in the, you know, before times, as I say. Mm. Um, and it's like, people are like, I go to concerts all the time. Like the vibe there was just so different. Like it was so open, so like joyful, funny, friendly, like it was bomb. So Uh. yeah, it's really cool. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. I love that idea too, of you actually working on the ranch. Oh my gosh. I mean, Obviously, you you know some ranch stuff, and you know about horses because you would have to. Yeah. But yeah, you were in the thick of it. Yeah. No, it was it, like it's beautiful, but it, it's like psychologically, it's like an some. It can be like an experiment of like I don't know, like yeah. group, like paranoia. being a survivor or something. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. People just start to like spin out. Um, yeah. I mean, even like, so like one of the characters from the book, Jed is actually based on a real person that I met there whose name was Jed and who was from Texas. No. And (laughs) yeah. And he was there though with his wife and his kids, Grizzly and Buckshot, but like they're, (laughs) it's even better in real life, but they're from like this small town, Texas. They came out there and I think they had kind of a really hard time. So yeah, yeah, I don't know. It was just like this thing that kept escalating. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so it sounds like a lot of these experiences come from a, a place that's very personal to you. But what was it like uh, getting into the headspace to write a character like Sarah? Um, you know, I think like for Sarah, like I, I mean, I have anxiety. So like when I'm writing like thriller characters, like I'll really try to like tap into that and just like make and it's kind of like, I guess, even what I've been alluding to with talking about that place it's like not sort of knowing like what's real and what isn't like being, being scared of stuff, not really knowing why, like, is your fear actually justified? So I definitely tried to like tap into that like aspect of myself. And then I felt like I also tried to make like a character that like, I'm afraid of being like, I think that as like a woman, especially like we're afraid of like being vulnerable of people thinking we're crazy Mm. of being sort of weird or, um, like, I don't know, paranoid, anxious, all this kind of stuff. So I kind of just tried to like magnify those sort of like aspects and my own kind of fears about like how I'll be perceived as a person, you know? Wow. <laughs> yeah, no, that I, it's, um, it's very relatable. I think you tapped into it amazingly as a female experience, yeah. as, as a female myself, <laughs> as a member of the club myself. You're an expert. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if they're gonna, you know, in bookstores, if they're gonna shelve this in thriller or suspense, but, uh, or, or where, but this book felt very 
cross genre to me and it read a lot like horror and i'm a massive horror fan (laughs) are you a horror fan um yeah for sure like i when i was especially when i was younger like i would say like the first like books that i really connected with were like probably stephen king's books like it yeah um when i was younger was one of my like all-time faves and i read a lot of his books around that period and that like i love i mean obviously his voice but i think that that'll always kind of connect to that with writing just because i'm so like his storytelling was so influential on me at like um that perfect sort of young age, you know? Yeah. So. I I can I can totally appreciate that because he has a tendency to write very normal people in very weird situations. So yeah. yeah. 100%. It's very much like a almost like a character study or like any and his character he has so many different characters. I mean, he's written so many books that he's gotta probably reuse a couple. But <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's pretty cool. So what is your favorite step of the writing process? Um, uh, when you get the money. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Where's my check? No. <laughs> um, honestly, you know, I love depends. that answer. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> it depends, man. You know, it's like you, it's such like, I feel so blessed to be able to do this. And like, even obviously when I'm not getting paid, I'm still doing it. So it's like, there's obviously some sort of, uh, you know, underlying issue, but Um, it is hard. And I think that like, you know, especially for me, like, well, this year has been so hard. Like I was doing, working on my second book and it's like, you're like drafting and you're so, you're so lucky to have like a contract and to be able to do this. But like, I'm like literally bawling and thinking the world's going to end. And like, why am I doing this? You know what I mean? Um, maybe, (laughs) (laughs) it's like it's harder than other times you write and you find this story and you totally love it and then that one usually doesn't sell so (laughs) yeah I would say the best part is honestly um is like when you get people who I guess that who like are gonna join your team like so when you get your agent or when you get your editor and it's like somebody says like okay I believe in you and we're gonna like do this together you know, like, or, you know, people I've been working with on like the TV side, that's like the coolest part. I think when you're just toiling by yourself, that's can, can be the, the harder part because you can get into this circle of doubt. Right. Yeah. But when you have people that like join your team or like I have people like in the TV side or whatever that we're all working together, that's like the fun part, like the collaboration, you know? Oh, that's awesome. And, like- and speaking of that too, uh, what can you share with us about this quote unquote TV part? Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't think I'm like, we're not supposed to like talk about anything the thing is about okay so the thing is about like tv shows and stuff like that is that it's such a long process and like sometimes you'll work with people for years and like nothing will ever sort of come out of it right so i think that's why people are so like hesitant to ever actually talk about specifics like what all i can say is like we're developing the show i'm like heavily involved i found like the most amazing people who are like super supportive of me but also like help me so like that is such like a cool and like fortunate thing to find like that they actually will say to me like you know we want you to be the one writing this like we're going to give you some tips how you can make it better but we believe in you we think you're funny like blah 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 like that is the bomb so it's been really cool that's so cool i mean obviously i want to finish product but i'm glad that you're (laughs) enjoying the journey though yeah no it's been like it's it's really just been so so lucky like how it's worked out and i'm like super blessed from my agents for finding these people and for getting such a great deal so oh nice i want to touch on that because I'll be honest, it's the first time that someone has said that that gathering their team around them is their favorite part of the the writing process. And that fascinates me. What advice do you have as far as getting those people around you who believe in you? Oh, it's so just like you, uh, it's like, I just think it just takes one. I mean, I've been because I've had like, I've been in this kind of industry for like a while. And I think that you know, I, when I, uh, queried this book, I had a few different agents offer and you, you want to find the person who, who like cares about your book the most, not necessarily the person who's even the biggest agent or who has the biggest sales. You want like the person who loves the book. And then from there, it's like my agent, Sarah Bedingfield at, um, Levine Greenberg, Roston. She was able to then use that passion to sell it to an editor, to use that, to sell it to a film agent. Um, and then, you know, that agent was able to find like a really cool, you know, team 
Yeah. So I think it's really just about making sure that when you get those opportunities to make those choices, don't like as tempting as it can be to be like, oh, this is a huge agent and they just sold this huge book. Just find the person that you feel like understands what you want to do, understands you as an author mm. um, and like really like cares about the work, you know? Right. And I think that's like where it starts. Yeah. They're going to advocate for you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. So the setting itself, Happy Camp and and the ranch, it feels like its own character in this book. Uh, What made you choose that part of Northern California to base the story in? And what is your connection to it? I think just the idea of like, especially like with a thriller, I think it can help to have like that kind of isolation. I think it it helps to like escalate everything, like escalate all the tension. Um, You know, like I said, like when you're, in like a place where there's very few people, you really rely on those people more, you know, Mm. like, um, and you're at their mercy a lot more. So that was probably like a big aspect of it just to kind of like try to heighten everything and make it so, you know, you're kind of (laughs) trapped. Yeah. Well, and that makes (laughs) me think easy out. (laughs) Yeah. And that makes me think too, with, um, with that isolation and kind of almost a claustrophobia, even in the wilderness is kind of, thematic in this book and with you know this lockdown and the pandemic we've all been going through it it feels um i don't know very symbiotic the timing (laughs) well yeah there's one like funny thing because obviously the book is like with a there's like a a parasocial relationship right so sarah doesn't really know rachel but she thinks she does and i feel like people might be able to like relate to that now more because it's like people are actually like you know like my friends are like vloggers that I don't know. You know what I mean? Yes. Like my friends are like podcast hosts and I like, you know, those are like the people that I talk to every day and <laughs> they don't talk back, you know, or I don't talk back, I guess. But yeah. That's a really good point. I, I love that. I feel like you captured that really well. Uh, the relationship between content creator and, you know, the person absorbing the content. Um, how, yeah. Could you talk to us a little bit more about that inspiration? I guess like one thing I will say that I kind of like, um, like looked at with this book is that I think that like that relationship and I think it kind of happens, um, with, within this book as well. It's like, because you don't like, because Sarah really doesn't know Rachel, she like projects onto Rachel either, you know, herself or like the person that she kind of wants to be. Right. Mm. So, I mean, I think that's like an interesting aspect of it. Cause I was just trying to think about like, what is it like when we think we know someone who, who is it that we're really seeing? And I think it's usually like ourselves or something that's like missing in ourselves, which I think is like super interesting. Yeah. But I think, yeah, for me, like the inspiration, I mean, I definitely like, even from when I was younger, you know, like I always really connected to like random celebrities and like, I thought they were like my friends and I would like show up at their shows and like, be like, you know, come backstage and like think that we were going to really be buddies. (laughs) (laughs) Now I really sound crazy, but I legit did do that when I was younger. Um, like I was, like I was super into all these musicians, and I would like kind of like find a way to like sneak backstage and then sort of pretend I didn't know them, but like you know I was like I had a plan. And you think that they're gonna like solve all your problems, you know, like or like that that's gonna be your community or those that's where you belong. But then you kind of find out that actually like I I like the person I thought you were is not who you really are. Like I projected this image. Um, onto you that was like the solution to like maybe like some angst or like feelings of not belonging within myself you know oh i love that (laughs) so healthy or not uh what 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 personality that you don't actually know in real life it would you do this for if they just disappeared and stopped producing content you cut them down Karen in Georgia for yes. sure. I'm like waiting. I'm waiting to get that call. I'm waiting for that bat signal to go up. I'm ready. I'll, I'm going to find them. Oh my gosh. And especially because, you know, Karen is from Northern in Sonoma County where we're from. So it's like, we'll, we'll pick up the trail here. <laughs> the three of us will be a team. We cover, we cover basically her whole territory. Yeah, her whole territory between there and there. Oh my God. I love it. Yeah. Speaking of uh, speaking of ladies, if I disappear is a female centric story. Uh, could you talk to us about the importance of the female narrative to you? I will say, like when I was, I remember, like, because I've been reading, like everyone has, ever since I was a kid, and I feel like when I was younger, like there were not a lot of books 
that I would, you know, connect to that had like a female like protagonist, you know what I mean? Even books that were like written by women, you know, like the, like the secret history or something like that. Mm. And so I, when I was younger, like I like, you know, not that there's anything wrong with this, but I was like, you, you want to like be a guy or like guys are who, you know, who stuff happens guys are like my role models, like not realizing that like you, it's not a gendered identity. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, and so I do think it's like, it is so important. And I, I think it's been so cool. Like, I feel like, like Gillian Flynn kind of like really broke it through, like in, in the thriller category. Um, but just to have like these, like a messy, like badass, you know, kind of women mm-hmm. is like, it is like important just to like, I guess like give you, um, help you to realize that you're not like alone and that you're normal and that you're, you know, that you're important, mm-hmm. that it's not like, Oh, because I'm not a, I'm not a guy. Like my perspective doesn't matter or my stories don't matter. Like that is, uh, to me, like what makes it like so important, you know? Oh, that's really cool. It, um, I, I love that you're part of kind of this, voice right now of like horror and well horror is what comes to mind for me like um Rachel Harrison who we love and different thriller writers like you mentioned Gillian Flynn where it's like we're gonna show you women who are just all over the gamut and just kind of breaking down those you know this is the crazy woman this is the mother you know like just really kind of exploding those archetypes yeah the victim oh god yeah (laughs) Yeah. So you've previously written in the YA space. Uh, Was this book always intended to be uh, an adult novel? And I use air quotes. Or or did it become that way on its own? Well, so, hmm. So I wrote my YA books probably like a long time ago. Um, And then right after I sold, I guess, like my first book, like my husband died, my life kind of like became like a nightmare in a way. (laughs) <laughs> not to be like to put too fine a point on it but you know it's like I lost my husband like I lost my family like I sort of lost you know you lose your friends your country everything so it was like this huge kind of like turmoil and it felt like even though it was such a great thing in a way to be published because those two things happened at the same time and were interlinked it just felt like kind of uh not you know it felt like a nightmare in a way like something that I wanted to get away, get away from so I actually like after I sort of fulfilled my contract and did all the, all the stuff with those books, like I actually like kind of like parted ways with my agent was like, I don't even want to write anymore. Like I'm done kind of thing. Want to do other stuff. Then I went out to happy camp to work at a dude ranch. That's a hundred percent how it happened. And you know, I'm, I'm still a writer. I think you might, sometimes you don't want to be a writer because it, be, it become very painful, especially I think if you've been through a lot of stuff, like I have like writing is therapy. And like when you're writing about, anything that's an intense subject, it's, it's like, it can be very difficult, like mentally and like psychically difficult. So I wanted to like distance myself from that. But you know, then I went to go work at this ranch and I started kind of writing a very different story that took place in that location. And then I guess like six months later I was working, I worked with horses. So I was uh, teaching horseback riding in Orange County, like working six days a week. And was like, is this going to be your life? Because like, first of all, you can like, you can barely make a living off of horses because you get paid like minimum wage, you get no breaks, like your perks is just the horses. So I was like, okay, this, I don't think this is going to work because I can't even afford like an apartment on what I'm making right now. Like I, do I want to go back to writing? And I was like, yeah. So that's when I wrote this book. But like, it was kind of like a whole different thing to me. And that's why like, I mean, my first books were published under my husband's name. And I was like, maybe you should kind of like put that chapter aside, like do something different. I think that my young adult novels too, were always like very mature and probably should have been adult. Yeah. So I think this is like where I maybe should have been to, you know, to start with. So it was a very different thing, I guess, to me. It was like completely, it was like starting over completely, you know? Well, I'm so thankful that you found your way back to writing and you're not allowed to leave. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, you can't. You can't leave. <laughs> you're saying here. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Wait, tell that to my editor. I will. We I will. will. Absolutely. <laughs> Give her a call. Speaking of being a writer and stories, what was the first story you remember writing? Uh-huh. Okay. Well, I have like a good, a good story. If you really, if you really want to know. <laughs> we do. We do. So like when I was like really young, I was probably like 10 or 11. Like I was, I was really in more into like probably like making movies and stuff. 
So I wrote this like super dark story, which it wasn't a script, by the way, but in my mind, it was going to be a movie. I wrote this really dark story. It was called Rhinestone, California. And it was like basically about this character who like, you know, um, dark alert was like bullied to death. That was the story. Like it was very dark. Like I didn't like, and I was like using all these sort of like adult words, which I don't know, probably picked up from Stephen King, but like misspelling them. Um, And so I had this book that I had finished, right? And I completed manuscript. I went onto the internet and I looked um, for an address in Hollywood because I I just thought, you know, Hollywood is obviously just one place (laughs) where people are all hanging out, like waiting for 12 year olds to send them their story. So I found an address wasn't for any kind of Hollywood, like film related uh, location. And I got this, you know, my book and I like put, you know, we went to UPS, sent it to that address. Like I was like to my friend, like, you know, my life's going to change. Like, I can't tell you. I can't tell you now. But just wait, you know? Um, Yeah, and then probably like a month later, they like kindly sent it back. Um, I don't know who, like, who got it or who it went to. But yeah, like I then like took that rejection and like stopped working for the next 20 years. You know, I was like, I took it pretty hard. So, but yeah, that was like one of my first stories. Yeah, that, you know, probably an undiscovered gem. Oh, I love that confidence, though, that you had and that you were just like, I'm doing it. I'm putting it out there. That's cool. You know, when you're a kid and you like legitimately believe you're like, oh, this is it's going to my life's going to change. Like, I'll get home tomorrow. They'll they'll all be there like waiting for me. You know, they're there. It just took a little while for them to get there. Clearly. Exactly. Do you still have it? No, I wish I did. Like, you know, when you, I mean, I'll, you get embarrassed or, you know, I, I was, it was rejected. I was like, ah, forget it. You know, I, you know, I wish I didn't have it. It had really great drawings, like very violent images. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. it went to some like, I don't know, cleaning casting company. decisions were made. Yeah, <laughs> I loved it. Like whoever got it, they're probably like, this is a very disturbed, very disturbed young person. I know. <laughs> Oh, they're like another one. <laughs> no, that's awesome. What a great story. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, before we let you go, we wanted we, we always give authors the opportunity to pitch any un, uh, lesser known or under underappreciated works that people that you wanted to bring to people's attention. Um, uh, I guess it's like hard to say what's like lesser appreciated, but one of my favorite on all time authors and one who was, was like most influential to me, um, is an Irish author named Louise O'Neill. And she has several books. Um, one's called only ever yours, which is about like, um, kind of an alternate reality allegedly where women are like raised as slaves for men. Um, and then, uh, one that's is called asking for, which is about kind of, um, the perfect victim kind of syndrome. And then she also has, uh, two adult novels, including, uh, one that came out this year, which is called after the silence, which also has kind of a true crime, uh, element, like a documentary. It's like a mystery on an Island, um, off the coast of Ireland. So yeah, I, anything by Louise O'Neill, like she is amazing. She is so sharp and intelligent and like an amazing feminist and an amazing woman. So yeah. Ooh, I've That's not read favorite. her. We have not read her. So and Eliza, where can our listeners find you if they want to find more information about what you've done and what you're doing in the future? Um, right here on John Wayne. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, yeah, I have like Twitter, I have Facebook, I have Instagram. Yeah, like, you know, friend me. And I like I always follow people back on Twitter because I can't not. And um, yeah anywhere and message me let me know if you liked my book let me know if you don't let me know if you hated it <laughs> just keep that to yourself yeah just keep that to yourself, <laughs> keep it to yourself. we can still be friends oh i love yeah. it <laughs> i understand i just don't want to talk to you about it <laughs> thank you so much for joining us this has been such a pleasure so take care of yourself out there and stay safe Oh, yeah, same. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was uh, it was very fun talking with you. <laughs> Welcome back, genre junkies. This is Sandra. This is Scott. We never <laughs> we never introduced a spoiler <laughs> section like this. I know. I'm sorry. I was thrown off by your wiggling again. I'm I just I have the wiggles. He's got the wiggles, people. So that was our interview. Uh, really cool. Always cool to get to talk to any author. 
but especially cool to hear from the author's lips, you know, from the source itself about, you know, their experience writing a, a book like this that's so captivating. I'm I'm nodding, which I recognize is not great for an audio format, but yes, Gosh. but preach, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> We're losing it. Okay, so let's get into some things about this book. And I think a great place to start would just be the twists and turns and, you know, kind of the big reveals in this book. Uh, did, what did you see coming? What did you not see coming? This this was a really weird book in that way where I almost saw everything coming. And I don't mean like, oh, I knew exactly where this was going to go. Right. I mean, this could have gone anywhere. And I feel like I would have expected it. And, and I say that because th th there's... um. The mystery is so deep and there's so many possibilities as far as just where where this could be going. I would not have been surprised if it was uh, her brother. I wouldn't be surprised if it was her parents who were both serial killers together. I wouldn't be surprised if it was a random gang down by the creek. Uh, there was even a point when I thought, you know, maybe Sarah is the killer. Right. There was yes. even a point when I was looking for clues like, is Sarah actually Rachel? And everyone knows it, but she has like twin personalities. Like there, there was so many points in this book that I was like, this could go some absolutely buck wild places and I'm here for it. Right. Absolutely. I, I hear you. I so appreciate that. Um, yeah, I kind of felt the same way. I was I was very suspicious of Homer. Very, very suspicious of for him. Sure, yeah. I'm just very suspicious of overly churchy people in general. So so that's that's not too surprising. Um, I thought for a while it could be him him and Clementine working in conjunction. Mm -hmm. Um I, you know, I did kind of like once I once we find the bodies, I was like, oh, my gosh, was it actually mom doing all of this? Like, yeah, I, I kind of hear you because I was so open to like it could be this. It could be that uh, Sarah did a really good job of finding all of these clues and, you know, kind of being a surrogate reader in this because she was like, could be this could be that this could have happened, that could have happened. And it's like, yeah, because that's what you do when you're trying to solve something. And part of the thing that 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 carried that as well is she really uh, leaned into the fact, we've discussed this before, where whenever something happens, whenever a murder happens, there's someone who knows yes. something that, are, that aren't saying something. Right. And it was pretty clear that there, everyone in the town they they didn't, may not know the whole story, but they knew something and weren't saying something. Well, right, because once we realize, you know, like that all of those women had logged in on that computer to their Facebooks, is it's a little like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's beyond suspicious at that point. It's like, okay, this isn't in her head. This isn't, you know, accidents or something. This is like... And it's not enough to just be like, well, people come here to disappear. And it's like, yeah, but maybe maybe they do. But this is too much coincidence, like for it not to be a problem, <laughs> a real thing. Um, I kind of want to talk about my interpretation of the end of the book, too. So we have Sarah coming in and the baby's just like loose. <laughs> <laughs> and she picks up little baby Grace and... Um, you know, she's got the gun. She's going to Rachel. And Rachel has that fine mist of blood on her face. So I took this to mean that Rachel killed Grace. Yes. Um, that she probably was like, I don't really want to kill this baby, but she's probably just frustrated with the baby. And so she was just kind of like letting it be loose. Or maybe she, I don't know, kind of like got Grace out of the room before the, she could put the baby back or something. But anyway, and... You know, I, well, I really think that Sarah's going to get her. I think Sarah's going to get her for sure. I don't think I, I, I think I took a different take as far as the baby. The baby was in the evidence locker. Yeah. I, I, I think that she just saw the baby as an object. She did not see it as a, as a oh. living thing. And all that time when Sarah's talking about how they all dote on the baby is maybe just kind of faking it. Yeah. The baby was basically just her, her method of of controlling grace right that was how she could kind of get to to her um 
it's interesting to think about Rachel's motivations because in a way, I don't see her as having intended to kill Sarah. I think she was manipulating Sarah, um, but I think she liked having a, a little bit of like somebody that idolized her. I think she liked someone who she felt understood her. Right. And I, but you know, it's like, I look back and I think about her saying that stuff and I'm like, was she just manipulating her? Was she just telling Sarah what she wanted to hear? I don't know. I, um, I really do like the character of Rachel because I'm still picking apart her motivations and the outcome and, and the, you know, if she was trying to change her ways and become this kind of savior of women, but she also has this, you know, internalized hatred of, of women of her own gender. Yeah. So it's a lot to pick apart. Um, I am so proud of Sarah and of the growth of her in this novel. You know, she is kind of this, a little bit of an acolyte to Rachel, but at the same time, she's doing like good things with her life now towards the end of the mm-hmm. book. And she's living a lot more, you know, deliberately. Um, and I, I don't think she would ever let Rachel hurt that baby or hurt anybody else. Because, you know, like Eliza said, we kind of like, we project ideals onto people. And she really projects this thing about Rachel wants to save everybody. Rachel's a savior. And it's like, no, you are Sarah. You're the hero. Yeah. You talk about the growth of Sarah as a character and, and it is beautiful to watch. And, you know, when, when we were talking in the non-spoiler section, we were talking about an unreliable narrator. Yes. And there there is definitely an unreliability to to Sarah where she doesn't she's not really she doesn't recognize some of the the more problematic behaviors she's she's engaging in. But about about halfway through the book, I I realized, you know what, actually speaking of thinking that she might actually be the killer, I trust Sarah because all of these things, all these judgments that I'm putting on her, it's really just because Sarah and and Eliza as the author is just being brutally honest <laughs> about Sarah. It's something that is really rare and refreshing in a book like this. I, I get what you mean. And I do not want to say too much in the non-spoiler section about Sarah being an unreliable narrator, because it's not so much like I can't trust her in a deceptive way. It's just that she's so damaged and she's so hurt and so trying to put herself back together that's where i can't trust her right because it's like she's kind of given up on herself and her life so that's where it's like you know it's hard to be like she's being so self-deprecating or whatever it's because it's like you're not that bad and you know like and these things happen to you you lost your marriage you lost a child you didn't want the child i mean it's so much to sluss out what you know and she's trying to trust herself again so it's fair that us as the reader doesn't know how much we trust her and it's beautiful to have a character who is suffering from what is ultimately an obsession yes uh but it's not but it doesn't go to the realm of say misery right you know it is creepy in a way it is problematic but it's also it's unhealthy yeah it's a good word for it but it's also very relatable absolutely because when you're really going through it sometimes sometimes you need an escape and you find your escapism in the oddest places and ways and think about all of the all of the podcast personalities or actors who you know, you idol who who we idolize, and we think, oh, they're they're the they're you know perfect, and they're 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 perfect warriors for the cause, and they're perfect allies. And to be clear, I'm not talking about shitty people, people who turn out to be shitty, but but they'll say something that you don't agree with, right. or that is that is a mis- that is honestly a mistake or an education or, or like room to be educated, mm-hmm. and suddenly 
your entire image of them shatters. <laughs> They're no longer the person that you thought they were. That person that that you thought they were, how much of that is them and how much of that is just your projection onto them of what you want them and what you need them to be y'all i am hitting the this button so hard because as somebody that has started out writing reviews for horror movies and now i talk about reviews for horror movies on my two other shows i can see this like there's times when i give a review of something and it's almost as if i can physically see the person's bubble burst of like <laughs> but i thought but this is the thing i love how can you not love it and i mean that does happen a little bit with books that happens a lot with books but i think especially with book podcasts it's a little bit different but um yeah we're it's and that's why people get so offended is because they're like but this means a lot to me how can you not like this thing that means a lot to me and it's like i thought i thought that we were on the same page yes and it's like oh god oh god god but it's like i understand because i i mean i don't think there's a single reviewer of books movies anything that i like a lot and we agree on everything i know that person doesn't exist absolutely not and, you know, they always say you shouldn't meet your heroes. And in this case, it's because your hero is actually a serial, serial killer. killer. <laughs> I want to touch really quickly on this incredible theme of isolation and claustrophobia. Uh, we all know that in books, but especially in my horror movies, I really like um, bleak endings. I like... Um, mutually shared destruction i like uh you know that somebody thought they could escape something that they thought that they could fight it and they can't and they succumb to it um i like conspiracy you know and, and this book gives me like an, a taste of that that flavor that i really like because i mean obviously sarah's not going to go to this ranch and nothing happens right yeah. like oh everything's fine and then sarah moves and it's no big deal and so it's like we're we're headed towards something and you know that it's not good and the more we pick up along the way we know it's not good and she has so few allies and so it's kind of like you're out in this middle of this wilderness this expanse you know nature and it's kind of the wild wild west everybody's got a gun and <laughs> you know everything but you're so alone it, it's just really really interesting the themes that she managed to capture in this book especially now if you had asked me literally a year ago today if I would be happy in a situation where I was out on a ranch and it was basically just me and I got to take care of the horses and be out in the wilderness, I would tell you, absolutely, that's my dream. Yeah. I would love to be in that situation. Yes. And now that we've experienced basically a year of, of on and off isolation. Um, it makes you think. I totally understand what you're saying because it, it gives you pause these days. Now one has pause when one thinks about isolation and how isolated they really want to be and it's like we all like the idea of it when it is our choice not when it's you know because abby is mean and scary and pressuring us to isolate yes. or because there's a pandemic and you know it magnifies the the need for individual human contact and it also it magnifies all of the gaps of your needs in the people that you are able to relate with during that isolation. You know, her relationship with Jed uh. is, you know, he's the only one that she can talk to. And even though she doesn't even really trust him, she chooses that she has to trust him. Yes. Despite how, how he's a suspect problematic he is. Yeah. Despite the fact that he may be a killer. Yeah. That is her only lifeline to human interaction and right. to having that connection with someone. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't mention at the end of this episode, I liked a lot of our supporting cast. It wasn't anybody I disliked. I thought they all served great purposes, every character. And when I talked about, you know, kind of that horror vibe I get from this book, uh, the parents are 100%. God, they unsettled me. And actually, especially dad with like the weird ways he would laugh and like say things like really goofily and stuff. He was like, he, I'm scratching. They unsettled me. And, and that just really added to 
gosh, did Rachel go mad from these people? Uh, is Sarah going to not be able to keep her wits together with these people? They really are unsettling. Yeah. Uh, part of that is because, you know, her mother is quite controlling. Yes. Her father is... Um, weird. Weird. <laughs> but knowing the the truth, knowing the reality of what happened, knowing that... It, that they were not responsible for any of these killings and didn't and, and didn't actually suspect Rachel from what it seems like. Well, the the gals, um, Tasia and Clementine, do argue that Abby knew. Yeah. Yeah. And that you know, they were kind of protecting her. I, I, and then they were kind of protecting Sarah. I, we don't yeah. know that for sure. It's speculation. It just it just makes me look back at at the father in particular. As just being like, well, he really is just like a kooky old man. <laughs> we we all we all know we all know a guy who just has you know he's just kind of a kooky old man. Well, wait, hold on. If I don't know that guy, does that mean I am that guy? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so I think it's time to put a bow on this. Uh, what what would you like to score out of what here? Wild horses. <laughs> I was I, I thought you were gonna say podcast mics. Oh yeah. Um how many podcast mics out of 5? Cuz we have five guests, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I would proudly give this book 5 out of 5 podcast mics. There is not a lot that I would change about it. Um with the exception of of course I can always go darker and I can always go grislier and gorier and weirder but that's just my taste and i can't force that on this author but and i don't think she was trying to do anything but exactly what she did and she nailed it and we need to support cool interesting women's voices that are fearless and genre defying i'll admit this is a hard one for me to score um if i just score it based on how much i love it it is absolutely five out of five. I, I loved this book. And, and that is what I'm ultimately going with. But it's hard for me to objectively talk about this book. In some things, I think it is such a strong feminist uh headspace that I can say that I know a lot and I'm really woke and I'm really educated about all that stuff. But at the end of the day, I don't know that experience. So I can't celebrate in that experience with you. That says nothing. That's not a negative. I'm just saying it's hard for me to score it because of that. But I absolutely loved it. There is nothing I would change. I thought it was incredibly unique and original. And yay. <laughs> Roll out the red carpet. I love it. Thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you so much, Eliza Jane Brazier. You're awesome. Thank you for being here and introducing yourself to the to, to these genre junkies. <laughs> Jed's rubbing off on us a little bit. We've he had a is. we've had a little bit of that that Texas twang we in got, our talk we're all recently. <laughs> sorry to our Texas listeners. I I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay, everybody. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Sandra. Please keep reading past your bedtime. 